I'm a few years older than Iris, and she's already a way better singer than I am. There's a reason my wife sings and not me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you that we can come and gather and listen to your spoken word, that we can sing these songs, that we can have these friendships, and we don't have to worry about persecution. But on the flip side, the challenge is, well, how much do we need to listen to the God's word? How much do we need to listen to these really tough talks in the series that we're currently in? So God, may we have a spirit of humility to hear from you when we may not want to. May my words fall down and may your words be lifted up so that we would recognize what it is that you're saying to each of us and how it is we need to respond. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Anybody use that line or have mom or dad use that line on them? A few months ago, I ran into this video on on Facebook and I didn't have anything to do at that exact moment, so I decided to watch it. And it was this mom who had just finished yelling at her probably five-year-old daughter. And with all the attitude that 35 pounds can muster, she says, Mom, why are you yelling at me? And the screen goes dark and it says, 10 minutes earlier. And it's this very sweet mom who says, Hey, babe, go to the washroom, get your shoes on. We're going to leave in about 10 minutes, okay? The girl keeps playing. Screen goes dark, five minutes. Still sweet, but she says, hey, we're in a little bit of a rush now. Make sure you go to the washroom, get your shoes on. We need to go. Child keeps playing. Screen goes dark, two minutes. I've told you two times already. You don't have time to go to the washroom. Make sure you get your shoes on. Let's go. Child keeps playing. How many times do we need to say the exact same thing before people hear what it is we need them to hear? There's a couple battles that take place regularly at our house. One of them is that our kids see myself and my wife eating snacks on on the couch, and they say, well, why can't we do that? And we say, because you're going to make a mess. And then my three-year-old, with all of his venom, will make his arms straight and go, but I won't make a mess. And then this happens. (laughs) You know the line, no running in the house or else you'll put out an eye. That's my son. He almost did it. Just a scar above his eye is all. What about this? No markers unless you're with an adult. I think I showed that picture last year, but we need to show it again. This should be hung on our fridge. This is why you listen to mom and dad. But the battle that we have all the time, and I'm probably partially to blame, is not whether or not to put on their shoes or whether or not to eat their food. My boys hate putting on their jackets. They despise it. And they say, Dad, we won't be cold. Yeah? You might be cute, but you're not right. You can see them shivering in this picture, but it is a reminder, put on your jackets. What about when those kids get a little bit older? Most of the time I can win in a house full of preschoolers. But what happens when our kids hit that 16, 17, 18-year-old age, they become young adults and they start dating other people, and we talk to them, and we give them those reminders of things that are important to us that we want to instill in them. 
Is your significant other, is the person that you're dating, does he love Jesus? Remember, you can't hang out in your bedroom with that door closed. We've talked about it before. What church does your girlfriend attend? Remember to have her home by 11. You know, I think I've brought this up once or twice, but does she love Jesus as much or more than you do? And our kids look at us and they say, Mom, Dad, you don't understand. I don't think I understood until I had kids of my own how much my mom and dad must love me. And my mom and dad, now in a small group that have kids that are my age, have walked through that pain of seeing kids go through divorces. Where they've seen their own friends make bad decisions and marriages fall apart. Where they've seen marriages that are still together, but because someone is dating someone who doesn't love Jesus, they've fallen away themselves. With it Mother's Day, it's easy to think about what we say to our own kids or what advice parents have handed down to us. But even as an adult, sometimes we hear those constant refrains. One of the things people say to me regularly is, Dave, watch out or you're going to burn out. I've heard that enough times that it makes me pause and think, okay, how hard am I working? Am I giving good attention to my job here at the church and to my job as a husband and father at home? How often have people said to you, the grass isn't always greener on the other side? Be weary of keeping up with the Joneses. An article from ABC News in 2018 said 20 to 50% of Americans spend more money than they make. That number is staggering. 40% of Americans have credit card debt. More than half don't have one month's savings. The article went on to say if that a furnace went down or the transmission blew in your car, most people in America would not have enough finances to cover that. So parents, friends, bosses, coaches, pastors need to keep repeating themselves because most of us don't hear it the first or the second or even the twelfth time. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. If you don't have a Bible with you or if you don't own a Bible, there's ones in the pew racks in front of you. Uh, If you'd like to have a Bible with you all the time, by all means, download this app on your smartphone uh, so you can follow along. The Bible can be a little bit intimidating. It's well over a thousand pages. And if you're new to church and you're wondering, how does this book work? It has a table of contents at the beginning. You'll find the book of Mark. The big numbers are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are the verse numbers. And we'll be in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. We're in a series called Tough Talks, conversations that Jesus has with his disciples and the crowds that people probably don't want to hear. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go online and stream our message while you're doing chores around the house, download a podcast so you can listen to it while you're driving, because Mel's message last week was fantastic. The Pharisees, these religious leaders, these teachers of the law were trying to trap Jesus. They wanted to have a reason to get rid of him, to throw him off the scene. So they said, you know how we can trap him? Nobody agrees on what divorce is like. Let's put him into a corner, and see how he's going to struggle his way out. And Jesus masterfully turns the conversation from divorce to marriage, and last week Mel and his wife LaDonna did a marvelous job. Today, to quote Yogi Berra, the great New York Yankee, it's going to be like deja vu all over again. 
About a month ago, Mel preached a sermon called Dying to Live, and he walked us through this portion of Mark where Jesus says in verses 34 and 35, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Two weeks ago, in Mark chapter 9, the same part of the chapter, verse 35, Mel said, uh, had a similar message and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Chapter 8, chapter 9, then here in chapter 10, we're going to read the same idea. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. All three of these statements follow something called a passion statement where Jesus tells his followers that he is going to die. We are headed to Jerusalem and the son of man, me, your friend, is going to go into that place and I am going to die. And if that's not staggering enough for the disciples, he looks at them and says, and you're gonna have to do the same. Chapter eight has one of the most defining moments in the entire book in verse 31 where Jesus began to teach that the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. You can see on the screen behind me just a few verses later, if you wanna follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And chapter 9 is the same in verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he'll be raised to life. Four verses later. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last, and the servant of all. Three times in three chapters, back to back to back. We don't want to hear this. It's like my kid saying, we don't want to put on that jacket. I don't want to be restricted. I want freedom not realizing it's the warmth of that jacket that allows us to do what we were really meant to do. The third passion statement is found in Mark 10. This is verses 32 to 34. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. The disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Jesus could not be more explicit. This isn't the first time I've told you this. It's not even the second time. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? We're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. You know what two of his disciples are thinking? This would be a great time to ask if we can be famous. First part of our outline this morning, seeking fame. This is verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. This is a pretty bold statement. They're not saying, hey, can I ask a favor? I notice you have some stuff in your garage that I would really like to borrow. Can I borrow one of those tools? They look at Jesus and they say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus wisely responds with this. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Pretty bold request. 
me put some context to that. Jesus has 12 disciples, three of whom have been part of his inner circle, Peter and the two men just mentioned, James and John. They already have a higher understanding of who Jesus is than the rest of the disciples because they're part of that inner circle. They've been individually called by name. That's back in chapter one. They've been given a special nickname, the Sons of Thunder. Along with Peter, they're the only ones to have witnessed a dead girl raised back to life, the only ones to witness the transfiguration. That's not all. They are the only disciples with a family name attached to them. The sons of Zebedee means the ones with hired men. They already come from a higher social standing than the other disciples. And one more thing. The road to Jerusalem is a road upwards. In the book of Psalms, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, they are known as the Psalms of Ascent, walking upwards towards Jerusalem, this great city, They're thinking fame and glory is obviously upon us. Outside of Jesus' wacky comments about how he was going to die and yada yada or whatever, obviously fame is going to happen. But before we roll our eyes and say, oh, those silly disciples, let's do a little bit of soul searching. What do you post on social media? What do you post on social media? The girl who takes 20 shots before finding that perfect selfie. The guy who takes a picture of himself at a gym. Why are you posting that? Is it just to get as many likes and comments as you can for fame? Our accomplished friends, whether telling about their most recent speaking engagement, a bonus they just got at work, that perfect family photo or vacation, or wait for it, a picture of their food. What's the motive behind you sharing that? What's the image that you're trying to represent? I have a few friends that whenever they do any sort of public speaking engagement, they post themselves on Facebook doing just that. And of course, they tag themselves in Instagram as well. They're seeking fame. You might say, Dave, I'm not on social media. That's not my story. Fair enough. How do you tell stories? Do you add a little something extra just to make it that much more exciting, that much more engaging? Man, I went fishing and I caught a fish this big. You add a few extra details to make you sound like, you know what, I won that argument with my boss, with my coworker, with my friend. I sure showed him. Maybe you don't post on Instagram. Maybe you don't share stories like that. But then you go home to your spouse or you go out with a couple of your friends and you roll your eyes at those sorts of people. And then you tell your friends how you're better than those sorts of people because you don't do that. You don't speak with such bravado. That's just fame seeking through a false humility. Jesus isn't looking for those who are seeking fame but for those who are willing to suffer and to serve. Not only have James and John failed to accept Jesus' mission, they have failed to see that suffering and service is a model for their own discipleship. Verses 38 to 40. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right hand or the left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. 
That cup that Jesus is referring to is the cup of wrath seen in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus will take the wrath of God for the sins of the whole world. The baptism is a suffering and death that will pour over him like a flood. And while the disciples are discussing who will become more famous, Jesus starts talking about his suffering. While the disciples are seeking glory, Jesus says, I am going to die. In the face of impending death, of relational abandonment, of excruciating pain, his closest friends are saying, but what about us? Praise and adoration, right? The kingdom of God just turns that on its head. If it's fame you're after, you must be willing to suffer. The apostle Peter, who is likely Mark's source for much of this book, says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may overjoyed when his glory is revealed. One of my favorite spiritual writers is a man by the name of Dallas Willard. He was a philosophy professor down at uh, the University of Southern California, and he was recently interviewed by uh, a well-known pastor. When I say recently, in the last few years. And this pastor looked at him, and he said, what should we tell people as we share the gospel with them? Dallas Willard, now in his late 70s, perhaps even early 80s, looks at this well-known pastor and he says, tell them about the lions. The pastor pauses and he goes, what do you mean by that? And he says, when you're telling them about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and how they should believe in him, tell them that there is suffering to come. Tell them that being a Christian means you're going to be little Christs and that there will be pain and suffering in following Jesus. When I was in elementary, most of my peers wanted to be a firefighter or police officer. You get to junior high or even high school and people realize those occupations don't pay a lot of money, so we'd also like to be a doctor or an engineer or an accountant. Do you know what the number one desired job is right now among high school students? We want to be a YouTuber and be absolutely famous for doing as little as possible. This is a tough talk. Jesus is looking at two of his closest friends and he's saying, you want to be famous? Be the servant of all. Be willing to suffer for what you believe in and don't expect your name to be attached to it. Be willing to show up with those other Easter worshipers in Sri Lanka when 12 suicide bombers kill more than 250 people. Be willing to invite your friends to Alpha. Be willing to engage in those difficult conversations. Be willing to serve behind the scenes not having your name ever attached to it. Be willing to look at your paycheck and your financial statements and say, before I give to my mortgage, before I give to my utilities, I'm going to give to the church because I believe in the mission of God and I want to see that grow. Jesus is looking at his disciples and says, while the world is chasing glory, while the world is chasing fame, be willing to serve. The kingdom of God is radically different than this world we live in. If you want to seek fame, find service. Verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. I mentioned earlier that the Apostle Peter was the source for Mark's book. You may find this interesting. This is the only time in the book where James and John are mentioned and Peter isn't. 
He has good reason to recall this event. Two of the three people in the inner circle are leaving him out. The anger the other apostles are feeling is twofold. One, how dare James and John have the audacity to ask such a question, to be on either side of Jesus? And two, why didn't we think of that first? Verses 42 to 45. Jesus called them together and said, you know that, these, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become a great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One scholar commenting on first century political leaders says this, kings or emperors in the first century did not seem to rule. They did rule, and usually with a heavy hand. Radically different than how the kingdom of God works. Leadership, says Jesus, is all about sacrifice and service. Not about the abuse of power. And then here is Jesus, the very son of God, giving us the ultimate example of servant leadership. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, yet he relinquishes those privileges. He leaves the glory of heaven, and he comes down to serve all of humanity, give his, giving his life as a ransom for many. You might be familiar with this beautiful passage in the book of Philippians, and I'm just going to go through it verse by verse. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Well, that's interesting. What's his attitude like? Who being in very nature God did not consider, consider equality with God something to be grasped. You mean Jesus isn't just the son of God, he is actually God himself. God made flesh. When he came down to earth, he did not lose, he did not relinquish his divinity, he added to himself humanity. But he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He didn't come so that everybody would bow down at his power. He came to serve. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In the midst of giving up his life, he became famous. This passage is called the Christ hymn. It ends with this. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the story of how one man came to save the world. It's the story that our world desperately wants to hear. And do you know how I know that? Because Hollywood spends hundreds of millions of dollars telling this story over and over again in different ways. A couple of weeks ago, Avengers Endgame premiered and it shattered box office records. For a number of years, the biggest opening weekend film was a little over 250 million, about 260. Avengers Endgame premiered at $350 million. I had coffee with a friend of mine on Monday morning, another pastor friend, and we started talking about this. Why is it that these Hollywood blockbuster comic book movies gather so many people to the theater? 
and he said something that I had never thought about before. Now, certainly over the last 10 years, Marvel has made Thor and Captain America and Iron Man famous, but remove the last 10 years, and who are the two most famous superheroes? Maybe you yourselves read comic books growing up. Superman and Batman. Listen to this. Superman, someone who has come from another world, has adopted parents, lives in relative obscurity most of his life, has incredible powers, is altruistic, and serves humanity at great cost to himself, asking nothing in return. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus. What about Batman? Here's a guy who has no superpowers. He's just a regular guy like us who happens to be made rich by his father and takes those gifts to serve his community for the greater good. Kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? What about those Avengers? At great sacrifice to themselves, asking nothing in return, they serve all of humanity by fighting against a terrible evil. Sounds like the Christian story. Total side note, I don't own any Christian t-shirts, but this one is fantastic. Jesus hanging out with a bunch of comic book heroes and saying, and that's how I saved the world. I'm well aware not everyone in this room is a comic book fan, so before I really start to geek out, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me people aren't flooding the theaters the world over, watching a bunch of people sacrifice, suffer, and serve for the greater good. Tell me the culture isn't waiting for a group of people to rise up and work together and tell them that there's a better story, a better way. There's something bigger than themselves. In the kingdom of God, real fame is found in service. Where are you serving? Did you know that nearly all of our ministries here at the church have opportunities to just check something out? Colton, who's our worship director, has a team night every quarter, I believe. The next one is on May 26th. A chance to hang out, to collaborate with other musicians, with other artists, and to find out what are we doing and how can we make this better? I'll do you one better. If you have a smartphone, check out two web, um, pages on our website. Our volunteer page and our team page. And you can say, I'd like to get more involved with youth. I'd like to get more involved in children's ministry. I'd like to get more involved in finances or whatever the case might be. Email one of these people. Maybe a weekly commitment to you is too much. And you're thinking, Dave, I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. I'm not sure I'm willing to put myself out there and to be involved in a different way. Renew has already seen Kelsey. We'll see Kelsey in a couple of minutes. Summer day camp is coming up. And Kelsey, I'm sorry if I'm going to say something that you're going to say later. 20% of day camp registrants, one out of five, come from an unchurched home. We have the opportunity to come and to serve these people and to tell them about Jesus and how he radically changes our lives. And you might say, Dave, I don't know if I'm that good with kids. That's okay. You can work in the kitchen. You can set things up. You can email Kelsey and say, can I be part of your prayer team? You might be saying, Dave, I already serve. Awesome. Talk to somebody in the foyer who doesn't and say, would you join me? Would you like to start a group together? Would you like to serve with me? 
and first impressions, would you like to make this place the most welcoming, warm environment possible? Last week, a family was visiting from out of town, and my wife started talking to them, and they said, this church is great. And you think, oh, okay, well, that's a nice platitude. But then they backed it up. And they said, we walked into this building, we're from out of town, we're probably not going to come back regularly because we live in Saskatchewan. And the moment we walked in, someone said to us, hey, did, are you aware that we have two different worship services? And they walked us into the Renew worship service. And then they said, that music was great. It was engaging, it welcomed us, it warmed our hearts. And then that message that Mel and his wife gave last week, that was fantastic. Do you want to be a part of that first impressions team that makes that kind of impact on people who are our guests, who walk in so we can give them that feeling of welcome home? Maybe your biggest contribution is happening outside the church. I just found out that one of my neighbors who doesn't have any kids of himself serves as a little league coach. My other neighbor is raising money for our local school. There were a handful of people in our church who said, you know what, we have a background in accounting and not everybody can afford their taxes. Let's do that for free. For those of you who are looking at changing jobs, have you ever considered this principle? Don't chase money. Chase good management. There's a lot of money to be made in Alberta. Not all the bosses are great. But if you looked at that culture, that environment, and said, that's a place that I'd like to be a part of. Maybe I'm sucking up, but I'm going to do it anyways. I was a solo pastor at a small rural church, and I thought that eventually I would be another lead pastor somewhere else, probably a church a little bit bigger, and I had opportunity to do that. When I met Mal and LaDonna, and my wife and I had supper with them, we said, we want to be a part of that. We want to work with that team. We want to learn from those people. We want to be a part of bringing Jesus into Southwest Edmonton. In the kingdom of God, real fame is found in service. And Jesus doesn't just ask us to suffer and serve. He is the perfect example of what that looks like. Which leads us to the final part this morning. Fame and faith. This is 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So he called out to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. For such a simple story, this passage is loaded with meaning. If you have your Bibles or your phones in front of you, look at verses 36 and 51. What do you see? Jesus' questions to the sons of Zebedee and Jesus' questions to this blind man is word for word absolutely identical and the context could not be more different. What do you want me to do for you? The disciples are seeking to be made famous. 
the blind man expresses his faith. The brothers are making this illegitimate request, Bartimaeus a legitimate one. The disciples are confident in their abilities. We can suffer whatever you suffer, Jesus. We find out soon after they can't. The blind man is asking for mercy in the midst of his frailty. The disciples have accepted this mission, have, haven't yet accepted the mission. The blind man certainly does. And those with eyes see, and those who don't do. Something else is taking place here as well. Chapter 10 closes with Jesus' interaction with a beggar. Earlier in the same chapter, we see Jesus interact with a blind man. This is verses 17 to 22. You'll just have to flip or scroll back just a touch. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. The rich ruler wasn't willing to sell a single item of his great wealth. Look at verse 50. The blind beggar got up, left his jacket, jumped to see Jesus. Even how they approach Jesus is telling the rich man, like the disciples, calls Jesus rabbi, which means teacher. The beggar, unfortunately not caught in most of our translations, doesn't actually say rabbi, even if that's what your translation says. He says rabboni. You might think, well, what's the difference? It's huge. Rabboni was a much more reverent name and almost never associated with human teachers, but as an address to God. We see this earlier in the passage as well. In verse 48, he calls out, son of David which is a messianic title. He understands, he recognizes there's something different about Jesus. This has nothing to do with seeking fame. It has everything to do with showing faith. In the midst of all that has happened, all that has taken place, Bartimaeus shows us the picture of a true disciple. And Jesus shows us how to use fame for good. Not only has Jesus told his disciples, if you want to become great, you must be a servant. He follows that up by showing exactly what it means. Look at the beginning of those verses in verse 46. Jesus has become famous. He enters Jericho and this huge crowd follows him. They're applauding him. They're cheering for him. They're celebrating. Jesus is here. And for the first time in the book of Mark, it's not Jesus who asks someone to remain silent, but the crowd. Because when that beggar says, I want to be a part of this, the crowd goes, shh, shh, don't talk. It's Jesus. For this is exactly why Jesus came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he calls the beggar in the midst of his fame. And he says, come, follow me. If you've attended some big conferences in Edmonton or elsewhere, you'll see those big-name speakers. A few months ago, Michelle Obama was here. I believe Tony Robbins is coming up soon. 
and you'll gather together with thousands of people probably in Roger's place and you'll sit back and you'll be encouraged and you'll feel like that raw, raw moment took place and after 45 minutes of impassioned plea, you might sit there and go, yes, here are some things I might need to make different. And then that well-known speaker who has paid a boatload of money to come in is going to walk off the stage and you'll never see him again, nor do you expect to. A couple of months ago, a number of us staff people went to Vancouver to a conference called Multiply. One of the speakers who was the most impactful for me um, personally um, spoke for 20 minutes. It was really good. I took lots of notes and the session came to an end and he walked off the platform. He walked down the aisle and he stopped and talked to me and Pastor Russ. I got a little tongue-tied. What am I supposed to say? You came up to me. I don't know where this conversation is going. Who's your favorite superhero? I didn't actually say that, don't worry. We have people in our church, business owners, high-level executives, tremendous leaders, crisis counselors, all these people with incredible gifts who are showing up on Sunday, showing up throughout the week, showing up for summer day camp and saying, how can I serve? Can I flip some burgers? Do you need any greeters at the south entrance? Is there room for me to be in youth ministry? Would you mind if I played bass on Sunday? Jesus Christ in all of his fame and all of his glory has taken the form of a servant and he wants a relationship with each and every individual in this room. So will you join us? Will you serve to make Jesus famous in Southwest Edmonton? Renew over to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for moms. We thank you for our own mothers and mom figures in our lives who have made us who we are today. We thank you for the moms in this room who have raised their kids well and are looking forward to celebrate with family later this evening. We ask that you would bless the mothers in this room, give them wisdom, give them grace and patience to love their children, whatever their age, and to bring you glory. God, we also know that for some in this room, this is one of the most difficult days of the year that some people choose not to come to church today because of what it means in their own lives. God, we pray for these women that they would feel, be, would feel embraced by you this day. We pray for those in this room who have had a bad experience with their mom. We pray for those unable to become mothers. We pray for moms who have watched their children walk away from you and feel as though they could have done so much better. God, we pray that your grace would cover their shortcomings whether real or perceived. We pray for this church and what it means to be a family, that we can serve a younger generation and develop powerful relationships. We pray that we can learn from older women and seek out wise advice and a caring touch. We pray for over 150 kids who will be coming to summer day camp and whatever their home situation may be, that this would be one of the, most, the highlights of their summer and would want to come back. God, may we put our personal goals and desires aside and focus on serving you so that your fame might spread. With all the excitement surrounding children's ministry this summer, we thank you for Amy, our new summer intern. May these next few months be a blessing to her as she works with Kelsey and our terrific volunteers. May it also be a blessing to us as she serves and helps make this summer a great success. And God, as you have poured out your love on us, May we richly share this love with others. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.